Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Um, as we continue this series called Churchology, we're talking again about how we connect with this, this big C church, this beautiful, go back to the statement, upon this rock, I will build my church that we started with a couple weeks ago. What is that rock? It's that statement of Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is the hope. He is the, the one that changes eternity. He is the one that transforms our life. He is the answer. He is the Messiah. Upon that, he's building this beautiful thing called the church. Then I'll throw up a diagram that we showed last week that just shows the church has complexity. Even trying to explain it can be challenging because it's, it's so multifaceted. The church is both invisible and it's visible. Uh, it's, it's both local and it's global. It's both historic, and, you know, just thousands of years of those who have placed their faith in the one true God and he's expressed himself through Jesus. It's, it's historical, but it's now. God is as at work right now as he has been at any time in history and we get to be a part of that together. But what I really want to focus on this weekend is it is individual and it is also community. It's individual in the sense that you got to choose whether you want to respond to this invitation that God gives to us to be part of his family, to be part of his story. It's an individual choice that we can't make for you. No one can. But once you have chosen to be a part of that, it's not just an individual journey. We do this now together as a community. And oh, how we need that community. We're going to spend some time in Ephesians. If you have a Bible, you can flip to Ephesians 2. We'll be there in just a minute. But I just, I, I just want to say this. I, I reworked my message three, if not four times this week, just as we're kind of rolling through this series. And I kept coming back. I felt like God was just, he wanted me to keep driving back to the topic we're talking about today. The last couple of weeks have been pretty heady. You know, a lot of words, a lot of greeky, geeky kind of stuff, and just trying to understand origins. Not so much today. Today is more of a, I just want to let a couple key passages of Scripture speak to us about, about this beautiful mess called the church and how we're supposed to function together the way that God has designed it. So I hope you'll receive that as such. There's, there's some beautiful Scripture in here that's going to challenge us about how we navigate through this broken, messy world as broken but made new people. What does a church look like together? In Ephesians chapter two, Paul, who is a New Testament writer, wrote a bunch of these New Testament letters to different churches all over um, the, the region of, of, uh, of Mesopotamia, around, uh, around the, the Mediterranean Sea there. He wrote all kinds of letters. And this one, Ephesians, is to a church in a little village, a little town called Ephesus. And it's an encouraging letter. A lot of letters that Paul writes are like beat you up kind of stuff. Like, come on, get it right. This one is just a, man, can you believe what we get to be a part of? Because of all that God has done for us. Chapters one through three are like, because of all that God has done for us, all that Jesus has paid for us, he's taken what's broken, made it new. This is what we are a part of. Wow, don't lose your awe. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not on the outside looking in. You're not somebody who's like, where do I lay my head tonight? Uh, there's nobody that will welcome me. No, you belong now. You're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Verse 20, you're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. We mentioned that verse a couple weeks ago. It all centers on who he is. In him, in Jesus, the whole building 
and really the whole family, all of us together, are being joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We read scriptures so often sometimes we lose the awe of it. Do you hear what Paul just said? That the living God, when people gather in his name, when people come together unified, this temple that he puts together, that he builds, when we come together, he chooses to dwell among us. So these songs sometimes can be so transcending for us that we sing together. That's so why sometimes when we open the scripture together, it can be so powerful because it's not the words that I say or the notes that are being strummed. It's the power of the presence of the living God that chooses to meet among his people. Don't lose the awe of that church because of all that he's done for us. We get to experience the living God. He makes his dwelling in us, it says there. So I want to talk this week just about the beauty of the family of God. I have a friend who, uh, we were roommates in college, lots of years ago now, but I remember he would tell the story when, when he would grow up, uh, when he was growing up, his family was missionaries in the Philippines. And uh, they would do, you know, villages in the Philippines, he'd been there a number of years, they would do these, uh, no stage, no equipment or gear or electronic stuff, just villages, gatherings of people all throughout um, in some of the rural, if you will, areas um, of the Philippines. And his dad would often do one of those, hey, what, what song would you like to sing today? What are your favorite songs or favorite hymns? Don't get any ideas. I don't know that Ben wants to do that here. But uh, I've been in a setting like that when I was a kid too in a Baptist church where it's just like, what's your favorite song? And it's almost like you try to trip up and, and trick the keyboard player or the piano player. It's like on the spot, right? But they would do this and, and he... His name's Paul. He would always have so much fun with his dad. And his dad knew, oh man, when Paul or his sister raises his hand, this is what they're going to request. They would always request the song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know that? How many of you know that song? Okay, some of us got some church background. Some of you are like, God, every time you talk about your church background, Jeff, I'm glad I didn't grow up in church. Um, no, there was some special things that were a generation where they say, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know, so we would sing that on. Here's the thing, though. Why would that be so special in the Philippines? Because, like different languages, sometimes they get letters reversed a little bit when somebody who speaks naturally, their native tongue is a Philippine, Filipino language, and they would translate it to English, they would get their P's and their F's backwards. So, if you're getting your P and your F backwards, and you're singing, I'm so glad I'm a... And the Filipinos, as Paul described it, are just like, man, they would belt it with all they have. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family. And they would just have so much fun with that. I may have just lost a couple of you, but it's a true story. It's a true story. And it's a great song that, no, we don't do a whole lot in this generation. But to be reminded, we are so grateful when we understand who we were, who God's made us to be who he is, what he's done in this beautiful thing in the church. We are so glad that we're a part <laughs> of the family of God and what that can really mean in our life. In this passage here, Paul says, you are members of his household. He said that right there in chapter two, verse 19. You're not, you're, you're not strangers anymore. You're fellow citizens and you're members of his household. That word household in the Greek is the word I've used several times on different weekends. And it's the one that if you go down the dairy aisle, you're gonna find the yogurt. Do you remember what word it is? Oikos, yeah. That's our word for the week, Lauren. 
This girl right here, every week, will be just standing around, and she's like, Dad, you got a Greek word for me this week? Our word of the week is oikos. So everybody say oikos. That's an easy one for us. Go down the Greek aisle, or I'm sorry, the Greek aisle. Go down the dairy aisle, pick up that Greek yogurt, and know that oikos really doesn't mean yogurt. It doesn't mean dairy. It means spiritual family, or it really means to belong to a particular family or household. You are part, you are members of his oikos. You are members who belong to a particular family or household. Why, why is this so important? This, this theme appears in a lot of the Pauline writings or what the P Apostle Paul or St. Paul, some might call. They, they appear a lot in his writing that you're part of this oikos, this family. As Jesus would say, this ecclesia, this gathered community around my name. Why is this so important? I'll give you two quick things. We need the spiritual oikos of the church. I need that. I can't do this alone. The church is not just individual, it's also community. I need this. You need this. We need this oikos. And Jesus knew we would need this. Can't do this on my own. Can't travel. That's why when we see somebody like Josh and Tammy moving on, it's just a great, because they're part of our family that we love and they challenge me to grow and we challenge them to grow and on and on. We do that for each other. We need that. Taking it a step further though, another reason why this is important, the world needs this. The world needs probably, it seems like as much now as ever, the world needs to see the spiritual oikos of the church. They need to see this, this household where people belong together. Different stories, different backgrounds, different opinions, different ages, different tenure, all that. It doesn't matter. We come together as fellow citizens built around Jesus, built on the foundation of Jesus, a spiritual oikos, a place where we belong, family. Um, I took a trip. If I didn't lose you on the Philippine trip song that Paul had been a part of, if I didn't lose you on that one, I'm gonna lose you on this one. Um, I took a trip to Ukraine several years ago. Actually, Ukraine's been in the news. It's been in my heart a little bit. That's kind of what reminded me and made me think of mentioning it this week. Several years ago, I um, had a chance to go to Kiev, Ukraine, um, to visit its New Life Church. Um, in fact, I got a picture with myself and the pastor there. It's uh, Pastor Anatoly and Pastor Egg Oleg. Oh, Anatoly's in the middle there, and Oleg, he's been the senior pastor, founding pastor for about 20 years now. It is the largest evangelical church in all of Ukraine, run like 2,200, 2,500, and uh, got a chance to spend time with him. The church we were part of in Orlando was major partnership with them, and they are doing incredible kingdom work. Think about Ukraine. It was part of the Soviet bloc 30 years ago under communism, and now 2,000 plus gathering weekly, and multiple church plants that have sprung out because of the ministry and work that they're doing. Incredible. It's an honor. I had a chance to preach there, get to know um, Anatoly. I actually got to preach, and when I was there, he was like, it was during my birthday, and so you don't come to Ukraine on birthday and not get gift. And I'm not making fun of them. They talk that way. I mean, they really do. And I love the man. I dearly, oh, I just hope I get a chance to see him before heaven again. I just love Anatoly and his family. Um, but he gave me this. Um, it's called a, a bulava, Ukrainian bulava. We've had some really interesting staff meetings lately um, <laughs> where it just felt necessary to pull this off the shelf. For me, no, but no, I'm just kidding, no, but it's, it's a symbol of power, the presidential seal, the symbol of Ukraine. It's just, it was such a neat gift. Jeff, how in the world did you get that on the plane? Mind you, this was about seven or eight years ago. I don't know if you could still even do this today, but I was able to get this home. It was a neat gift that uh, Anatoly gave me. But he also wanted us to experience the Ukrainian culture. I'm not making up any of this. Um, if you go into the uh, European nations, if you've done any travel or you've done any research on it, they have a lot of saunas. 
A lot of cold territory, you know, just like it's, you know, the big Russian hats and the coats and everything like that to warm up in the winter. There's these saunas. Uh, we did not do a true Ukrainian sauna. We kept our swimsuits on and uh, enjoyed the modesty of that. So, but the whole idea is, man, go in there, get up a good sweat, you know what a sauna is. I mean, just, just hot in there. And then you go out where it's cold outside. Again, this was May, but it was freezing still. Run in, jump into the pool. Woo, it's refreshing. Run back into the sauna with the dudes and, and sweat it up and go back to the pool. Woo, and go back to the sauna. Well, so that was enough for me. That was good until the second time when I come back in the sauna, Anatoly has brought in a stack of branches. And these branches are, have you ever heard of stinging nettles? Do you know what stinging nettles are, anybody? Some of you who maybe do like essential oils or different things, there's a medicinal value or property to it that, that helps. There's a whole science in it. I don't know all of that. That is not what Anatoly was doing with these. Um, basically what they are is they are like uh, poison ivy on steroids and, and just, I, I had touched a branch just to see and I'm like, I had bubbles on my hand because the stinging nettles, they, they have like hairs, like little fine hair on their branches that have a histamine. You know how we take antihistamines? Stinging nettles are one of the reasons why we have antihistamines because they're full of histamine that will just aggravate your system. And a true Ukrainian spa or sauna experience is to be hit with these because your pores are all open. It's just a wonderful, invigorating experience. So we come back into the sauna. Here's a stack of branches. Anatoly, what the heck is that? Dan, I, Dan is one of my buddies. Dan, I need you to lay down. I have a surprise for you. So Dan lays down face first on the sauna. He's like, I'm just going to hit you on the back. I'm, t I'm not making up a bit of this. Anatoly grabs these branches, and in all the love that he has, he just, I mean, his heart, the man was like, not because of the sauna, but because he was working so hard, was sweating, hitting him with these, you know, stinging nettles on the back. Here's Dan. Oh! He hit him like five or six times. And he's like, it's good for you. It's good for you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Anatoly, I can hear him saying, where is Jeff? I want to beat Jeff. <laughs> Jeff is three doors down at this point. I'm gone from the sauna behind a locked door, toweling off, getting changed back into normal clothes because I ain't going in that sauna ever again in my life. I can literally hear Anatoly going up down the hall. Where is Jeff? Where is Jeff? He has not been beat yet. Where is Jeff? And I'm just like, get me home. Um, my Ukrainian experience has gone off the rails. Anatoly is amazing. And I, hey, if he's, there's no chance he's watching, but if I, he is an, an amazing, beautiful, incredible, faith-filled man. I love this man dearly. But he scared me to death with this. And I still have tremors and nightmares about it. About another pastor and all these guys. Just, Jeff, why are you sharing that? Because my suspicion is, for many of us, when we think about our experience with the church, it looks a lot more like that than some of the verses we've read. You're part of this household where you belong, and there's this flow of grace and beauty, and on this rock I will build this ecclesia, this, this beautiful expression that's different and better than what the world can offer. You are part of a household, an oikos, a place where you belong in family. A lot of you would say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's not been my experience. My experience is I just feel like sometimes I get beat over the head by the very people who are supposed to be part of my, my oikos, my family. 
where Paul says, you're no longer foreigners or strangers. Yeah, yeah, there's sometimes when I'm in this setting, uh, I, I just want to be out, man. I just, I don't, I'd rather be a foreigner or a stranger than some of the nonsense that I got to deal with, with the very people who are supposed to be an expression that looks so much different, so much more like Jesus. My suspicion is that many of us have, maybe even just right now, maybe you're online, you're home even because of part of this. You're just like, I, I know I need this. I want, you read the verses that Paul describes of what an oikos is, a spiritual family to belong to, to find community and to find agreement and life and joy and one another and support. You ache for that. And yet, because of our brokenness, sometimes it, our, the church looks more like that. It, it looks more like just, it looks more like pointing out our imperfections. It looks more like um, self-righteous or pride or it looks more like trying to tell everybody how to, to do their own spiritual life with, with a heart and heart. It looks more pharisaical. What I mean by that is the Pharisees in here were just all about the law, the law, the law. And Jesus like, you're missing the whole point. There's love behind all that. It's, it's to set you free, not to put you in bondage. And you keep making all these man-made nonsensical rules. And some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's, unfortunately, that's much of what my experience of the church is. And, and if that has been your experience and you're like, I've got stinging nettle scars all over me. Two things to say to you. One, I am so sorry that that's been your experience. You're not alone in that. There's a lot of people. And sometimes uh, we get sideways on that. Sometimes, you know, pride gets in the way, sin gets in the way. Sometimes it's well-intended because we want people to be set free, but sometimes it just, it just doesn't happen the way it should. I'm so sorry if you've experienced that. Second thing I want to say to you, though, is this. That is not what Jesus dreamt up when he talked about the church. That is not what Paul was talking about when he talked about a household, an oikos, a family together. He talked about something so special. And when you get into chapter four of Ephesians, he starts talking about this is how we function together. These are the heart postures of the household of God, the family of God. Ephesians chapter four, Paul is in prison in Rome. Why? Because he had been preaching this good news and the powers that be didn't want to hear it. So as a prisoner for the Lord, Paul says, I want to urge you to live a life, not chasing people around, beating them over the head with everything they've done wrong, but a whole different posture. Not pointing out everybody's imperfections, not building cases against people's journey or faith or leadership or experience or, or whatever it is. I, I want you to come together. You'll see at the end of this passage, in the unity of the spirit is what he's driving to. This is what I want you to do that leads to this beautiful unity in the spirit that, that Jesus dreamt of when, when he talked about the church. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of this calling you've received. What does that life look like together? Not just individual, but in community. Be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. By the way, that word completely in the structure of the original Greek, it's not just for the word humble. It's for every one of these highlighted words. Completely like saturated an absolute posture of your heart is one of humility absolutely, completely one of gentleness, one of patience, one of bearing with one another. That means like to endure. Hey, we're going to be different. We're going to have different views. 
There's going to be things that you say that I don't know that I heard it right. There's going to be things that I say, and you're like, I don't know if I heard it right. But we fill those gaps with trust and love, and, and we bear with one another, and we help each other grow. How? In love. There's that word agape. We did a love where we live series in the fall. How do we agape where we live? Well, it starts by agapeing right here. By doing all these things in a posture of love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. There's that phrase. Through the bond of peace. Absolutely, completely saturated. With humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. In love, in peace. That's a little bit different than the picture of somebody with whatever the version of stinging nettles is that sometimes we inflict on each other. And sometimes we allow each other to inflict on each other. That's not at all what Jesus wanted in the church. He wanted this expression. Why? Because you need that. I need that. I got enough of the world beating up on me, beating a snot out of me, beating you up, beating your family up. We got enough of that. We need a place where we belong, a family, a household that expresses humility and gentleness and patience and love and peace. You need that. I need that. And the world desperately needs to see that. Can I tell you this? The absence of those attitudes is the absence of Christian unity. I would ask you, maybe go back on those verses this week and kind of reflect on, think about gentleness and and think about bearing with others and patience and all those things. Give yourself a grade. Honestly, it's asking completely. Don't skim the surface on this, man. Am I completely having that posture with this this household, this family called Mosaic? The family of, of fellow believers, Do I have this posture? Because if not, the absence of those uh, attitudes is the absence of Christian unity. So Paul builds this foundation. This is the posture. Man, all that you're not foreigners, you're not strangers, you're part of this beautiful family. How should you function together? With this absolute saturation of complete gentleness and patience and on and on and on. Well, Paul, why should we do that? Because he doesn't deserve that. He makes too many mistakes. She doesn't deserve that. She says too many things. They don't deserve that. They have not treated me as nice as I try to treat them and on and on. I can't agree with them on some foundational positions or political positions or uh, what on and on and on. I can't, they're too different than me. How can I possibly do that? Paul answers that in verses four through six. He gives us the foundation and it's really almost like a, a hymn Verses four through six, like a song, a hymn. It's like a creed, creedal hymn. Remember last year we did the Nicene, I'm sorry, last week we did the Nicene Creed. It's just a declaration. This is what fuses us together. Don't miss this. I I can't tell you how much I love our name, Mosaic. And I love our, our logo. If you picture in your mind, you've seen the logo enough. There's all these pieces that come together. Be the weirdest picture ever if we just had a couple. Everything matters and fuses together. But what keeps us together when we're so different? When we're like sharp, broken pieces of glass that are dangerous with each other and just what keeps us together and makes something new and beautiful, this mosaic? Paul says in verse four, well, well, there's one body. There's one family. There's one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. What keeps us together is the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. There's one Spirit, there's one Lord, there's one Father, and look at all that he's given us that fuses us together. 
In other words, look through that passage again. Look at those verses I just said. It has nothing to do with you and it has nothing to do with me. I don't care what your story is. I don't care how long you've been a part of the church or if this is your first weekend, welcome. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what your political positions are. I don't care what's been said to you or about you. God has welcomed you to the table. And if you put your faith fully in Jesus and identify in his ecclesia, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He is my savior and leader. You're part of his table. What fuses you with everyone else isn't all the data about you and all the stories and all the things that's been said. What fuses you is the father, the son, and the spirit who's given us hope and faith and eternity and love and one baptism and all those things. The God who is in all through all. Our eyes are fixed on him, not ourselves and not each other. What fuses us, what makes us one, kind of a redundancy through this, what makes us one is him. That's why at Mosaic, we're all about a Jesus-centered life. That's what fuses us together. Do you know what Jesus' greatest prayer was for his followers? Jesus' greatest prayer was not that you would memorize this entire book. It was not that you would serve 23 out of 24 hours a day the plight of the poor. It was not that you would give every single dime that you've ever made to missions or to your neighbors. Those would be all fantastic things. His biggest prayer for us, his followers, it's in John 17. I pray. Many, by the way, many believe this is probably the most like passionate, intimate, just rip open the heart of Jesus. This is his deepest prayer for us. I pray that all of you would be one on this rock. I will build my church. I want my church to be one, to be unified. Father, just as you and me are one and I'm in you, May they also be in us so that the world will believe, the world will see this, the world will believe that you have sent me. You know what that verse tells us? Christian unity looks like Jesus. Christian unity is found in Jesus. Christian unity points to Jesus. That's why Jesus prayed for it. His deepest prayer, it looks like Jesus, it's found in Jesus. It's all in those verses there and it points to Jesus. Doesn't matter your story. Doesn't matter what your preferences are. Doesn't matter some of our positions in the gray areas of what faith looks like. What matters is, are you gonna try to live a life that models the prayer that Jesus prayed for you, that Jesus prayed for us? Um, the watching world needs to see this so desperately. A broken world, a seeking world needs to see this. The question I would ask is, do they? Do they? Tell me answer that. There's a, an author named David H. Stern. Um, who is, he's a Messianic Jew, which means he, believe, he was born Jewish in Israel, but he believes that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. The, the practicing Orthodox Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So much beauty in their teaching and belief system, but it ends with that. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, practicing Jews do not believe that. A Messianic Jew, by birth Jewish, believes that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the term messianic. He wrote the book, Messianic Jewish Manifesto. And here's what he says in the, the history of the Christian church offers all too ample proof that his, Jesus's prayer was indeed needed. Most Jewish people are at least confused, if not scandalized by the distinctions between various kinds of Christians, which seem to divide more than unite. How many lives have been sacrificed over the centuries in wars, including wars of words, between Christians. Jewish people, again, this is his background, so Jewish people, but I would say all people, 
Look on this display of disunity with disgust and disdain. There's nothing attractive about it. It's nothing at all. Take those stinging nettles on each other, church. And the world just says, why would I ever want to be a part of that? And Jesus would say, I don't know because that's not what my plan was. Jewish people, it's all people, look on this display of disunity and disgust with disdain while scripture declares that there already exists this spiritual unity. What is it, Jeff? We just read it. There's one faith, one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one hope. It's already there. Scripture declares that, that spiritual unity exists between believers in the Messiah. What the world often sees is this, to put it mildly, a very imperfect reflection of it. How sad. So the question is, a world that desperately needs it around us, you and I desperately need it, is that what they're saying? Give yourself an inventory, just reflect on some of these verses this week. In Leslie's office, we were having a meeting, or she and I were chatting about a couple ideas, and I just, she had to run, pick up something on the copy, if I remember right, and I was just looking up on her shelf, and I saw this placard that she has around some books, and I'll throw it up on the screen here. It says, we rise by lifting others. We rise by lifting others, and it just sits in her office. And it's, it's just one of those things that it's just, that's the heartbeat that we want to be, not by tearing down others, not by comparing with others, not by pointing out the imperfections of others, not by elevating ourselves. We, collectively, the church of Jesus rises by lifting others. It's a posture of unity. Ephesians 4, right here, it's like, what kind of posture do you want to have? One of patience and gentleness and kindness, enduring with one another in love, peace, That's how the church grows. The world desperately needs to see this. It's the kind of unity that Jesus prayed for. It's the kind of unity that Paul is teaching right here. It's the unity that you need. You need that. And the enemy wants to do everything he can to divide that and split that up. You need that. I need that. The world desperately needs to see that. My hope is this. Again, not as heady today, maybe just kind of a, hey, let's just sit back and take a a cultural inventory on this broken but made new, messy but beautiful thing called the church. Man, what are you doing to fight for it? What are you doing to protect it? What are you doing to protect each other and allow the others around you to come around and protect you and be a household, an oikos, a family where we can belong to, find life and joy, find correction sometimes, find guidance, find exhortation, like just stir, like, come on, man, get in the game, get back on the field. We need some of that, yes, but in a posture of love, it's all bathed in the love that Jesus had for his disciples. It's all bathed in the the position of unity that Jesus prayed for, for all of us. You're protecting that? Man, I hope this stirs something up in you. I do. Just being real honest, I just, I hope this stirs up. The world is desperate for any sliver of hope right now. And Jesus makes it very clear. Paul makes it very clear. This is it. This is all we got. It's not trying to get people on Mars. It's not trying to discover the cure for cancer. Great things. The hope for eternity is the expression of the church. Will you show something different? That's why Jesus in his deepest gut opening moments, I pray that there'll be one Oh, you mean like they just kind of get along? No, no, no. Like you and I are one. Like we are so in sync. There is a oneness and an agreement. Oh, that the church would just, for generations to come, be like that. Will you fight for that? Will you fight for that? Team's going to come out and lead us in in a song. And it's really a reminder again of what this is all built on. You need this oikos. 
It's not built on preaching. Uh, we are gonna fall, fall miserably short. Please do not say amen right now. But if that's what this place is built on, we don't have a shot. It's not built on how, how much you give or how much I give or how much we give together. Important things. It's not built on how many hours we serve or how many kids we can open up and we can triple or quadruple for. It's not built on that. Upon this rock, upon who Jesus is, he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that truth and the awe and the wonder and the, and the, and the awareness of that con constantly in our life, upon that truth, that's what the church is built on. That's what our unity is built on. Paul said that, in, in chapter 2, verse 22, in him, in Jesus, you too are being built together. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.